thinking it'd be a great idea to start the new year with a time of thanksgiving. And the best way for followers of Christ to do thankfulness, I think, is at the communion table. That was Jesus' idea. So we're going to do that today. Some traditions call it uh, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. Some call it the Eucharist, which, which, which really just means thanksgiving. Our modern uh, tradition tends to call it uh, communion or, or holy communion. But we're going to go back to Luke's account of the Last Supper when Jesus started this really, really important practice for his followers. So to set the scene for this passage in Luke, it's the Thursday night meal before Good Friday. You know what that means. It's just before Jesus is betrayed and arrested. So he, let's read it together. We're in Luke ch uh, chapter 22, starting at verse 7. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and, and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. You know, Jesus completely knows what's about to happen. And with that full understanding before him, he sits with his disciples and he says, I'm eager. I'm eager to eat with you. And I've always found that kind of striking. There's, there's two words that are there in the, in the same sentence, eager and suffering. They don't usually go together. Now, don't get me wrong, because I don't think Jesus is saying that he's eager to suffer. It's true that he was unwavering in his mission and obedience as he moved towards the cross, but it doesn't mean that he was eager for the suffering. What he was eager for was, I, I think, two things. First, he was eager just to be with his disciples. He was eager to be with them. You know, this, this, this is a time of need for him as well. He was eager to be with him. It's an important point. Jesus loves being with his followers. He loves our company. Jesus loves our company. I bet a lot of you were out last night with people, enjoying company. Jesus loves that. He loves our company. His eagerness was centered around simply being with them, the ones he loved. Their presence in his life was what he was eager for. Just translate, translate that to us today. Our presence, our presence is what Jesus is eager for. He really does love us. And the second reason he was eager, I think, is that he knew what his suffering was going to accomplish for the people that he loved. He was not eager to suffer, but he was eager for them to have the gift, the benefit. 
from his suffering. Salvation, peace with God, a new life, complete forgiveness and, and freedom. And it's exactly the same for you and me today. Eagerly, eagerly. Jesus eagerly seeks out a loving relationship with each and every one of us. And he wants to be the primary presence in your life. And if you can believe it, he's seeking out your presence in his life. Isn't that cool? He eagerly wants us to receive the benefits of his suffering for us. These, these benefits that came at a really high cost to him. The value of his presence is so high. The fullness of his presence and his grace in our lives is what he is eager for us to have, to experience. And it seems that he wants that so much that he's willing to suffer and die to make it happen. This is why about 15 years ago, I felt so challenged when this message that I received in another place challenged me in a new way. How was I responding to a God, God who suffered so that I could be in his presence? Like, that's amazing to me. He suffered so I can be in his presence. And I knew the answer. My love for him needed legs. It needed time. It needed space. It needed confession. It needed repentance. It needed me to get rid of things. It needed me to change things, to change my perspective. It needed me to be still and find joy in the presence of God. It's what we've been singing about this morning. It needed me to likewise be eager for him. We keep reading in verse 16, For I tell you, now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, it's given for you, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took another cup of wine. And he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. There's a good reason why. Christ's death happened at the time of the Passover celebration. You know, it wasn't just a coincidence. The Passover celebrated Israel's divine rescue out of slavery. That divine rescue came through the sacrifice of a perfect one-year-old lamb whose blood was spread on the doorpost so that there would be a Passover, that households would be spared, their firstborn wouldn't die. This was the final plague of the ten, remember? As the Egyptians came up out of Egypt. So after the Israelites' divine deliverance, each year, God said, celebrate it. Don't forget what I did for you. And they called it the Passover, and they would sacrifice a lamb to remember God's salvation each year. Now fast forward, and this time, in Jesus' time in history, Jesus would be the new lamb whose sacrifice and blood would bring a new divine rescue for all of us, for all of humanity. So at this last Passover meal, Jesus is effectively replacing the Passover celebration that celebrates the Israelites' divine rescue from slavery with a new celebration that we're gonna, we call communion today. 
It's a new divine rescue for us. So the Passover celebration was the first divine rescue. Communion, this communion celebration is our, the second divine rescue. And in this passage, we're literally hours from the cross. And the very last thing Jesus did before his arrest was to leave his followers with this command to regularly do this. Have this celebration. Take this meal, bread and wine, and remember, it's a ritual that's steeped with spiritual significance. It's more than just saying the words and going through the motions. We shouldn't let it become that. In fact, for the early church, Holy Communion, or the Eucharist as they tended to call it, was the center of every worship service. That's what it rotated around. So we don't ever want to think that this is some strange tradition or add-on that's just a, a hang-on from the past. It's not. It's for us today. Communion is vital for the church, and it must remain there in our worship and gathering until Christ returns. Communion holds us close to Jesus and what he did for us, and simultaneously points us to the return of Jesus. Every church and denomination does communion somewhat differently, sometimes with slightly different theology, but all of them have at their core this reminder what Christ has done, what he has promised to do. Jesus knew he would need something like this, and so he set up this ritual to hold us close to him and his promises. He knows that as people, we forget easily. He knows that uh, encounters we have, the importance of them tend to leak out of us and say, he said, you better do this. You need to do this all the time together. Now, of course, there's some differences in style. There's some uh, differences in, in what we do with elements. The Catholic tradition, if you're from the Catholic tradition here, you know that there's a doctrine of transubstantiation where they believe that the, uh, the wine, the bread are the real blood and body of Christ. It's not really a doctrine that we have or that most Protestant churches have. But at the other end of the spectrum uh, are places where communion is really just a remembrance-only ritual, a bit like Anzac Day or Remembrance Day, but it's far more than just remembrance, in my opinion. While remembrance is central, because Jesus said that's what we do, it goes deeper. And I say that because we believe that Christ is present at his table, and Jesus is not a distant and passive observer Remember, he's eager. Remember that word this morning. It's the title of my message if you haven't worked it out. That word is eager. He is eager to be with us and us with him. When we obey Jesus' commands and especially when we sit in his presence, we can be assured that we receive incredible spiritual and life-giving benefits. Given this, John Wesley described communion as a means of grace. And I love how he calls it that. In other words... In taking communion, God's grace abounds to us. So that begs the question, if Holy Communion is a means of grace, why wouldn't we want to take it together regularly? In one of Wesley's sermons, he said this about communion on the screen behind me. I haste to this sacrament for the same purpose that Peter and John hasted to the tomb because I find, I hope to find him there. I come then to God's altar with the full persuasion that these words, this is my body, promise me more than a figure that this holy banquet is not a bare memorial only. 
In what manner this is done, I know not. It is enough for me to admire. And thus his body and blood have everywhere, but especially at this sacrament, a true and real presence. Do you hear what he's saying? In other words, a true and real presence of Jesus can be found in communion. And so we don't just participate in it, we eagerly desire it. We hasten to it, as Wesley said. It's true that there is a certain amount of mystery that surrounds communion that we have to accept that we don't fully understand. But one thing that is for sure is that it's for our spiritual benefit and we should never neglect it. And in case you're still not convinced of the significance of this meal, don't miss these words from, from verse 20. Let's look at them again. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Who wants to be in covenant with God? The new agreement he offers us comes from the blood of Jesus poured out as a sacrifice for us. And the cup represents it, that covenant. When we drink from the cup, we're not only reminded of Jesus' sacrifice that makes that covenant possible, but we also we reaffirm our commitment to God and to the covenant he has with us. And we receive again and again and again that grace that holds us. In other words, by taking the bread and the cup, we say, Jesus, we continue to live in your saving grace and we commit to an ongoing new life of repentance and obedience to you as our Lord. So at the conclusion of this meal, Jesus finishes with these three, the, sorry, not three, but these very profound words in verse 29. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. So he extends the invitation to his table. It's profound because God is perfect and we are not and the two don't go together. We can't come to God's table in our own strength. But for a repentant and born-again Christian, the perfect Lamb of God took away our sin on the cross so that we become His righteousness, His blood, washed us clean. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering of our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He took on our sin and exchanged it for His righteousness. Is there an amen? He took on our sin and exchanged it for his righteousness. And so because of that grace, we have a seat at God's table in the presence of the perfect creator. Eagerly. Eagerly. He's eager for you to occupy the seat. He's got your name on it. He can't wait for you to be there. So the invitation is before us today. I'll ask Rachel and um, Phil and Nate to come and the stewards, if you can prepare as well, please. There's an invitation for us, an eager one. God is eager. It's not just a ritual. It's an invitation for all people who have a repentant heart. But church today, 
maybe there's something else that I can invite you to as well. There's an invitation to confess. There's an invitation to seek and receive His forgiveness. An invitation to an eager relationship with Jesus. If you've never committed to Him before, you can do that today. Commit to Jesus first and then take communion. An invitation into a recommitted covenant with Jesus. An invitation to remember Jesus on the cross. An invitation to remember the high cost He paid for us. An invitation to sit with God at His table. An invitation, an invitation to healing. An invitation to healing. An invitation to simply receive as His grace abounds. Not only do we humbly come to His table in awe and with thanksgiving, we do it. Hear these words again. I have been very eager to eat this meal with you. So you come eagerly this morning because Jesus is eager. So I invite you to come and receive the elements from the elders. We'll just be at the front today. And uh, you can take them in your time. We won't have them together. You take them in your time because I want you to spend time communing eagerly with Jesus. You can kneel at the front if you want. You can sit in your chair. You can stand at the altar, confess, repent, be thankful, commune. Let His presence here in this time pour grace into you as you commit to Him. Remember how eager His love is. So don't rush it. Don't get distracted. Jesus is here. And when the time comes, we'll sing together. Come when you're ready. Let me pray first. Lord, consecrate now the bread and the wine which have been prepared, that as we partake of them, we may receive the full spiritual benefits of your broken body and shed blood. Amen. Amen.